For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, a Q&A on where we stand after a week of changes to U.S. border policy. Find out about an alternative to sunscreen that's been developed at the U of A. And visit a place where every word is precious to meet two women working to overcome the condition known as aphasia. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. The Trump administration's zero-tolerance policy for families attempting to cross or seek asylum at the U.S. border was in place starting April 6th, but this is the week that it became the central issue of the national conversation. Here to talk about the elements of this story that impact our state is Christopher Conover. Now, Chris, I know you've been following the policy elements of this as best you can. Um, At the time of this recording, what can you tell us? Everything is still flexible. Earlier in the week, the president signed an executive order changing the way the federal government deals with children who are picked up at the border. He said children and families would not be separated so long as there was some place to send them as a unit. The problem with that is there just aren't that many facilities that can handle families, uh, detention facilities. The military the next day said that, yes, they would be willing to uh, explore housing some of these families on military bases around the country. There were also reports out uh, in the Washington Post and some of the other media outlets out of the nation's capital that ICE, uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, was not going to be automatically referring families with children for prosecution until they could figure out what all this meant. Many people are questioning who's accountable for what's happening at these detention centers. And is detention center even the right phrase to use right now? That's the one you hear people using, but the kids, are they under arrest, which detention center kind of implies, it, it, it's, it's very difficult to answer. As for who's responsible for them, here in Tucson, there is a facility. Uh, our reporter Nancy Montoya visited it this week or tried to visit it. They, she wasn't allowed in. And there is a similar facility in Phoenix. We know of those. Reporters there weren't allowed in either. But in both places, Uh, Reporters observed vans go in that appeared to have kids in them. Uh, We don't know who these kids are, but some supposition was made that these were kids who had been separated. I spoke with Governor Ducey this week about it, and while this is a federal program, he said the state will be checking on them. I'm working with the administration so we know where the facilities are, we make sure that they're properly licensed, and then of course we're going to do what we can to to make sure that we're doing a good job from the state level and the federal level. Early in the week there was report of some states where the governors were stating that they weren't going to be sending their National Guard troops to support the border effort of the Trump administration. Uh, Where does Arizona currently stand on that issue? Governor Ducey was very clear on that this week. 
our National Guard troops are staying at the border, the ones that he has sent down there. He's not bringing them back. It is of note the Virginia governor removed his troops from Arizona. There were four Virginia National Guardsmen and a helicopter that were here helping that effort. And the Virginia governor sent out in a tweet uh, this week that he couldn't agree with this separation of children, so he was bringing that very small group back. There are hundreds of Arizona troops on the border. The loss of four, most people probably wouldn't notice. So the National Guard deployment continues. Has there been any direct comment from Governor Ducey regarding the humanitarian issues surrounding separating children from their families? There has. A week ago, uh, the governor was in town, uh, and I spoke to him late on Friday, and he was very, very clear. He doesn't like the separation of children. Now, also to be clear, as some people have pointed out, yes, uh, under the Obama administration, under the Bush administration previously, children were separated. It's just a larger number now, and more attention is being paid to it. But that aside, Governor Ducey was very clear. He doesn't like the separation of children. When he was in town this week, he was pressed uh, on that some more, and he reiterated he doesn't like the separation of children, but at the same time he questioned why people would bring children across the desert right now. I think anyone who's bringing a child across the border is putting a child in harm's way just because of the harshness and extreme uh, climate that we have here in, in, in the summer. So when I see these kids, like I said, it breaks my heart. And one big lingering question about this entire situation is, are the children who are already being held in custody going to be reunited with their families anytime soon? The plan is to reunite those children. At least that's what the administration says. What we haven't seen is a plan on how to do it. This change in policy came around very quickly, and the president signed it. How it's being executed is taking longer to figure out, and that is one of the big questions. What do you do with these kids that have been sent all over the country to different facilities? How do you get them back with their families, and where are their families? You can follow all of the reporting from Arizona Public Media on the border issue online at news.azpm.org. Thank you for your time, Christopher. Thank you. Millions of Americans are hesitant to go outdoors in the summer sun because of fear of skin cancer. Tony Perkins reports on how two University of Arizona professors are working to bring sunshine concerns under control through research into drug design and the functioning of the human brain. Skin cancer is one of the most common cancers, with doctors diagnosing 3 million new cases each year. Health experts estimate more than 9,000 people in the United States will die of the disease this year. Min Ching Kai and Victor Ruby are University of Arizona scientists taking a strong step forward in skin cancer research. The researchers have developed peptides, naturally occurring biochemical compounds, that stimulate the production of skin cells that produce melanin. Melanin is known as the pigment responsible for skin color, but it is also the compound that protects the skin from ultraviolet light or UV radiation. With afternoon temperatures reaching triple digits every day in Tucson, 
Ruby says time spent outdoors comes with a price for people at risk for skin cancer. Well, we're in the sunlight, so we get reflected radiation. Some of it is UV radiation, but it's not so bad if you stay in the shade. But if you step out a few, a few steps from here and get out into the sun, then you have the rays from the sun. And here in Arizona, where the sky is quite clear and so forth, this UV radiation is very strong. Min Jing Kai places Tucson alongside the coasts of Australia as places in the world where exposure to the sun produces caution. Melanoma is, uh, you know, the, the largest, one of the largest cancer in the whole, you know, society, especially in Arizona, Australia. We try to protect, develop the new technology and new compound to protect the, you know, people exposed under the sun. People are accustomed to using sunscreen to mitigate UV damage, but Dr. Ruby says sunscreens are not completely effective compared to nature's way of keeping human skin safe. When we sit inside most of our time because of our jobs and other things, school and all these other reasons we have to be indoors, we don't tan. You have to be exposed to sun. However, we discovered 30, 40, almost 40 years ago that with this hormone, if it's stabilized properly, you can tan without the sun. Now, according to Dr. Kai, they must turn their breakthrough into a user-friendly application. Nobody wants like the injection. So the goal is to make uh, the specific, very special formula to make it really absorbance, you know, by the skin. So that's how it goes. So we're, we're working on it, and then we're very, you know, we're very, you know, happy on that, and then we are moving, moving on right now. We have to protect ourselves. Twenty, anytime you're outside where there's sun in the sky, you have to protect yourself against UV radiation. And you do this by pigmenting yourself. Pigmenting is what the body does to keep cells from absorbing radiation, which can cause mutations. People could easily avoid the danger by staying indoors, but... If you're always in the shade, you know, oh, then you will get a stress. Because we are human beings. We need the outdoor activity. We still need exposed to a certain level under the sun. The researchers are now looking for collaborators in their study. They are seeking businesses that will bring their work closer to an actual product you can pick up on the shelf as a natural rival to sunscreen lotion on these hot summer days. You know, we're very hopeful because we think this is something that once people understand what's possible, will be very popular. So we can hopefully get rid of sunscreens and, uh, and the, these um, tanning salons and going to the beach just to get a tan. You go to the beach to have fun instead of going to get a tan, right? And so forth. So that's what our goal is. I'm Tony Perkins for Arizona Spotlight. Imagine awakening and finding out that your body no longer functioned as it had before. Your arms and legs might be numb or useless. Most of us would try to call for help to escape the nightmare, but then it gets worse. You find out that communication is impossible. Even if you can make a sound, you can't speak a comprehensible word. And that turns out to be only the beginning. 
Aphasia is a language disorder that can be the result of a stroke, brain infection, or head injury. At the Aphasia Center of Tucson, about two dozen people of all ages and at different levels of ability are learning to talk, read, write, and use numbers all over again. The Aphasia Center's director is Dr. Fabi Hirsch. She says there's no cure for aphasia, just months and years of hard work to regain things that so many of us take for granted. One of the ways that I gauge our success is how well people then move into friendships and relationships that go beyond the walls of the center. So we really strive to get people re-engaged in meaningful life activities. When I hear about people going for hikes, people have taken trips together, people go for movies and coffee, and that really, I think, shows the value of what we do here. It's all about quality of life, better communication, better quality of life. Good job, good job. I visited a class where the participants took turns reading out loud to each other. For some, the struggle to say every word was plain on their face, but so were the smiles and the laughter that came from cheering each other on. After class, Dr. Hirsch introduced me to a woman in her late 20s named Felisa. She's been living with aphasia since a stroke about three years ago. At that time, Felisa was a published poet and an interpreter studying in Afghanistan. I asked her if losing her ability with languages had also changed her personality. Um, of course. Um, struggle, speech, but I am confident that heal and grow when you were first recovering from your stroke, how did this feel to not be able to communicate like you had before? Um, shattered. Shattered. I, I, I am a poet and translation. Translator? Mm-hmm. And writing. I love to write. No longer again uh, start over mm. so hard but I am hope hope and I am lo long time but um, future future is it any different for you to communicate verbally than with writing? Do you feel the same impediments to expressing yourself? Um, well, sometimes I can't talk, but writing most. So mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. works. <laughs> yeah. um, but writing, not much. Yeah. How is your reading when you're alone and you're just reading to yourself? Do words flow any better? Uh, horrible. <laughs> so, um, Beth helps um, writing, or I translation interpret me. <laughs> so, 
English. Yeah. So, so. you're translating for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. When you're in public, say you, you're going shopping or something and you have to express yourself, um, have you found that people are willing to take the time to be patient? Have. Um, kind and post office. Well, half, see? Half, right. Yeah. Tell people what this is. Oh, a band, yeah. A wristband. Yeah. Wristband. Yeah. Yeah. And you showed that to people and you hope that that can get... Hope. <laughs> yeah, that they'll take the time to understand. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Aphasia, loss of language, not intellect. Mm -hmm. All the time. Mm-hmm. One minute, please. <laughs> so, what is your dissertation on? Um, Afghan poetry, Afghan specifically, uh, women's poetry, I see. contemporary. Felisa, you have a beautiful poem, just a little quote. Yeah. Uh, it applies so nicely, I think, to recovery. Right. Do you want to share? Katra, um, Katra, means. A river is made drop by drop. Oh. Afghan proverb. Yeah, an Afghan proverb. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think it applies so beautifully mm -hmm. to the recovery process here is that it's not one day we wake up and everything is cured, but every day. Steady, steady. Yep, steady, work. steady, drop by drop. Mm -hmm. Felisa handed me a book of her poetry, and I read a small excerpt. This is from a poem called Be Longing. My first friend in the Arizona desert was an Iraqi refugee. After a father's death, after hightailing it under veil of dark, after years in a Syrian camp, she was here, a desert with a different tongue. In her language, Haif is house, and Hey, is also a line of poetry. We were also joined by Rona, a woman about Felisa's age with sparkling green eyes. Rona's aphasia severely limits her ability to speak, but she communicates best by typing on her phone. Okay, so it says your name is Rona and that you had a stroke two years mm -hmm. ago. What do you remember when you were recovering from the stroke? Did you think that this would be temporary, maybe? Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. But your prognosis turned out to be what? Has anyone ever been able to tell you what you might expect? No. Mm -hmm. Dr. Hirsch, what would you say about Rona in terms of other young women that you see come into this group? Everyone is so different. Mm -hmm. So one person, our focus might be on using technology, whereas with another person, it might be on using writing to help them communicate, it might be working with a family member or a friend to help with communication or some combination of all of those. So it's really personalized mm -hmm. in how we address each, each person who comes mm -hmm. through our doors. I'm always particularly impressed, I think, when we have someone who comes in and is young and has had a stroke, but does not let that get them down and comes in and is determined and just ready to dive into past 
activities, in Rona's case, diving into new activities. Mm -hmm. She's recently started riding a trike mm -hmm. with a riding group and has shared that in some presentations with mm -hmm. us. So that inspires me. I love to see folks come in and um, show me that there are so many things that can be done in the community and there's absolutely no reason to be hiding away but it's actually much more valuable to be getting out to becoming here and to be engaging in the community um i know that from talking to felisa that her goal is to finish her dissertation right now but what about your goal for language your goal for winning out over aphasia <laughs> So that's a good indicator of the fact that nobody knows about aphasia when the phone can't even uh -huh. autocorrect the word aphasia. Uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> really. No word prediction <laughs> for aphasia. Beautifully done, Rona. Oh. So your goal is talking so good that you can teach people about aphasia. Uh -huh. That is a great goal. <laughs> um, I know that from talking to Felisa that her goal is to finish her dissertation right now. But if you could talk to people easily about aphasia, what's the first thing you would want them to know? So when I asked Rona what she would like to tell people primarily about aphasia, mm -hmm. she just typed aphasia is hard. Mm -hmm. Did you like to use your phone to text before mm -hmm. your stroke? Uh -huh. So you already had an advantage mm -hmm. there, right? Is there anything you've learned here at the center that is you think is helping you to um, express yourself better? Um, um, the slideshow. Uh -huh. You mean with the public speaking? Uh -huh. Yes. So Rona's in our public speaking group. And you would think that in a public speaking group, having a lot of difficulty with speech mm -hmm. would be a real detriment. And it's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> because with the public speaking group, the beauty of it is that you can put images up on the board and without saying a word, mm -hmm. the entire audience is ooing and awing <laughs> at these fabulous photos of places and things that you do. And so without having to verbally say a lot of the words, you can communicate what's going on in your life. Mm -hmm. You can imagine getting together with your friends. If you weren't able to tell them what you did on the weekend, but you can show them a picture of the restaurant you went to or the meal you made, mm -hmm. all of a sudden you have a whole new avenue for communicating what's going on in your life. And these two are masters of that. Illustrating Dr. Hirsch's point, we stepped out into the hallway, which has been turned into a gallery for members of the Aphasia Center. Felisa showed me some photographs from her trips to Afghanistan. Herat, uh, ancient. Where did your interest in Afghanistan come from? Um, I love uh, Afghanistan. Why? Um, hospitality, people. Um, poetry, laughter. <laughs> but is it from your family? No. No? Just you finding it for yourself? Yeah. Can you tell us what we're looking at? School and girls recite uh, poetry. <laughs> and um, her poetry. 
So she wrote some poetry yes. that her, her classmates are reading. Mm-hmm. Do um, young girls have a good chance at an education in Afghanistan, or is it harder for them than boys? Yeah. Um, brightest girls. Mm-hmm. Um, rarely, but yeah. These are beautiful photos. Thank you. Before leaving, I spent time learning more of the facts from Dr. Fabi Hirsch. Over 2 million people in the U.S. are living with aphasia, which is a shockingly large number. That means over 6,000 people in Pima County are living with aphasia. We are only addressing the needs of a very small proportion of that. And I feel badly. I feel like there must be people at home who are isolated, who aren't aware that we're here and we're here to help. It is a very devastating disorder with respect to maintaining relationships and friendships and family relationships. Do you have goals set for the Institute for where you'd like to take this community? Recently, we were granted nonprofit status, 501c3 status, for a new organization called Friends of Aphasia. And the Aphasia Center of Tucson will be part of Friends of Aphasia. We have a growing number of young individuals who have had strokes and you can imagine losing your source of income no longer being able to work and how that makes it really difficult to pay for different resources including our center here we try to keep tuition very low but we need to be able to offer this to anybody who could take advantage of it so we're hoping that the nonprofit model will be a better way for us to continue to grow. We really want to pursue more advocacy and outreach efforts, and that will be part of Friends of Aphasia. And we want to spearhead some novel treatment research. I think as a clinician with over 25 years of experience, that the groups are One of the best things that I can provide as people continue to recover their communication skills. But as you can imagine, when I'm sitting across from someone in their 30s and 40s and that they still struggle with getting the words across, that I feel like there must be more that I can do. Thanks to everyone at the Aphasia Center of Tucson for sharing their stories, especially Felisa and Rona. The center is located near Craycroft and Speedway, and we have links to get in touch on the ACPM website and Facebook page. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can find our podcasts on iTunes and through the phone app NPR One. This show originates from the ACPM radio studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.